Last week, the Supreme Court gave its decision in Financial Conduct Authority v Arch Insurance Limited and others, completing the test case's speedy journey through the courts. FCA involved business interruption insurance policies and whether their terms apply in the wholly unprecedented situation arising out of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now that she has had a few days to fully digest the court's decision, I've asked Alison Hardy, partner at Ashurst, to join us for the latest episode of On The Case. Alison, as always, we look forward to you making everything clear. <laughs> Thank you, Jess. I'll do my best. So remind us, Alison, why did the FCA feel the need to bring this matter to court and, and what were the, the courts asked to consider and decide? Sure. The um, the FCA has an unusual ability. They have a, a, a test case scheme where they can bring cases and ask the courts to clarify the interpretation of a, in this case, insurance policy without there actually having to be a dispute, a live dispute that's going on. And ordinarily, you can't get a declaration from the courts unless you do have a live dispute between parties. So it's unusual in in that respect. Um, And and they brought the case for 370,000 policyholders who have um, taken out these enhanced business interruption policies. And each of those policies is pretty much fully held by small and medium enterprises. They're not big companies and therefore they don't have deep pockets to be bringing uh, litigation against these huge insurance companies. And again, these insurance policies um, tend to be worth about £100,000 worth of cover. Um, So although overall the case is worth about £37 billion, (laughs) for one insurer to bring a claim, it wouldn't have been um, cost effective. And so the FCA brought the case on behalf of all of those policyholders. So the kind of things that um, this this case does, it's pretty unusual. Um, it, it it looks at sample policies, sample enhanced business insurance policy, business interruption insurance policies, um, and it, it covers people like Hiscox, uh, Royal Sun Alliance, QBE, and others. Um, and and it's anticipated that this is a representative sample of the business interruption insurance policies, the enhanced ones that that are out there. But of course, it's always important to check your particular policy wording. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think I think it's always important to turn on. Of course, the insurers, no doubt, will be turning um, through each policy, trying to find loopholes. Um, But these enhanced policies, what are they? They are. they are to cover losses that you suffer as a result of events that occur not in your business or on your business premises, but outside of that. Um, so, for example, the, the example that's given in the um, in the judgment, typical lawyer's example, is that somebody is murdered on the street on which your restaurant operates <laughs> and the police cordon off the street. And so people can't get to your restaurant. Those enhanced policies would pay you out in that mm-hmm. situation, even though nothing happened actually on your on your premises. And, and the court was looking at four types of policy clauses. So um, they're called disease clauses, prevention of access clauses, hybrid clauses, which unsurprisingly is a combination of disease and prevention of access, and something called trends clauses, which thankfully for real estate, we don't really need to worry about. Um, and, and the thing to think about, particularly with this decision, is it's different to a normal landlord's insurance policy, a claim for loss of rent, because those kind of policies turn on damage to the premises. And these business interruption insurance policies don't require there to be damage to the premises in order to be able to trigger the policy. Mm -hmm. 
Now, the wheels of justice in this case have, have moved uncharacteristically quickly uh, from, from issuing of the proceedings uh, in June 2020. Uh, a two week hearing at uh, first instance took place remotely in September. Um, and uh, we then had a leapfrog appeal to the Supreme Court that was heard over four days, again, uh, remotely in this brave new world that, that we're all living in, in November. And then their decision was given, as I said, uh, last week. That is a remarkable turnaround, especially for such a, a complex case. Uh, so what has the Supreme Court uh, ultimately decided? Yes, as you say, surprisingly quick, if only justice was ever dispensed that quickly normally. Um, but yes, it, it was great to see this turnaround. It's so important for so many of these businesses that might mm. well be tinkering on the edge. Um, so looking first at the disease clauses, um, as I say, these, these cover notifiable diseases which um, occur within a certain radius of the premises. Now, some of those have a small radius, like only a mile from the premises, but lots of them seem to cover anything within a 25-mile radius. Mm -hmm. And actually, during the evidence that was put before the Supreme Court, the FCA drew circles um, <laughs> over the over the England and said just 20 circles um, of 25 miles radius covers the whole of England. So you can see that mm. the policy these policies might well cover large, large areas. Now, the insurers argued that the business interruption policies weren't triggered in most cases because there wouldn't have been a COVID case in that area which caused the interruption to the business. So the question was, you know, if Joe Bloggs catches COVID, does that mean that I have to close my business? That's the argument the insurers were running. And the Supreme Court um, came up with rather a novel and some might say um, interesting approach to causation. And so what they ultimately decided on, the, on these disease clauses is that so long as there's one case of COVID-19 you can point to within that radius, that geographical area, then the mm -hmm. policy responds. Um, so that's really interesting. The judgment actually only really focuses on the March 2020 lockdown. Um, and, and so there is, a, there is a possibility that really rural areas, and uh, the Isles of Scilly, again, is an example that's used in the judgment, really rural areas, which as at March 2020 didn't have any COVID-19 cases, um, those, those businesses might struggle to mm. be able to point to one COVID-19 case in their area, um, which then triggers the insurance. But most people will be mm. able to point to one of those. And, the, and, and this point about causation is quite important in law generally. Um, so normally you have to be able to prove that the event caused your loss and mm -hmm. sort of this argument on the but for test, which is discussed very in a great amount of detail in the case. And there's a whole load of discussion about shipping law in this, in this kind of discussion. But the Supreme Court said, each individual case of COVID-19 in the country and in fact across the world was the thing that led the government to enforce the lockdown and that's why you only need to be able to point to one case of COVID-19 within the radius in order to trigger your cover under the disease clauses. Mm -hmm. So that's your sort of disease clauses cover and then going to your prevention of access cover um, this is triggered when premises are closed um, and that you can't access the premises, the name sort of clues in the name. The question then is, when Boris Johnson came onto all our TV screens on the 20th of March and said all the pubs and restaurants must close and, um, and that had to close that evening, 
it wasn't law at that time. Mm. So the question, and, and this happened all the way through, still is happening all the way through. We get announcements and guidance, but it's not actually law at the time. But it said, and the question was, you know, so does some does something have to have force of law in order to be able to trigger a payment? And, and again, the Supreme Court has said, if guidance is given, which subsequently becomes law and which parties will understand will become law, then that does trigger a payment under these prevention of access um, policies. There's also an interesting question here about takeaways and online ordering and click and collect. Again, mm. although there's lots of discussion about premises in here, this is insurance of business. So it's not just insurance of your ability to trade from a particular property. And the Supreme Court said, if you've been able to provide services in one of these ways, takeaways, online services, click and collect, then you might well still be able to claim, but you won't necessarily get all of your losses covered mm. in the same way as if um, there's flooding to some premises and you have to close off a corner of a shop, you might get a uh, sort of 20% repayment from your insurance mm. because you can't trade from that bit of the shop but mm. um but you don't get the whole lot it's exactly the same um when you've been able to trade in a certain way a bit like mitigating your losses that type of thing yes very much so and and again um the, the supreme court interestingly the parties had identified a list of categories of premises which is actually much better than what the government produces when they do these <laughs> list of regulations i have to say these regulations and the lists appended to them are pretty horrendous um the only interesting thing about them is to spot what's new each time um but but this um this judgment categorizes uh, a few different six i think it is different categories of premises and the supreme court expressly says that unless you've been unable to trade then you can't claim under this prevention of access and therefore those that have been disrupted and found trading uh, you know these policies are a hindrance um it doesn't prevent you from trading so for example they say expressly essential retail and offices mm -hmm. may not be able to claim because they have been able to carry on trading. You know, I've been able to work from home. Lots mm. of other people have been able to. So again, essential retail and offices may not be able to claim. And, and the test essentially, as I say, is inability to use premises. So to concentrate on the, the, the key question that everyone will really have uh, in the wake of this case, what are the practical implications of all this for tenants affected by the pandemic, for landlords, uh, and obviously for insurers? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think to a large extent, this this case won't have a huge ramification for real estate, but it is interesting and it has a, a long-term impact for us. It, mm. Most of the discussions that are going on about insurance as between landlords and tenants is, does the landlord's insurance policy and the loss of rent clause pay out um, in these situations? Of course, cases about that going on at the moment. For insurers, um, I think the, the situation is a significant amount of the 37 billion pounds which is um which is covered by these policies will have to be paid out um and i know they're very concerned about that um insurance understandably yes. yeah exactly very concerned about that um but it but it does come down to you know where businesses have been able to trade um then they may not be able to claim and also may receive part of that payment so that's i'm sure where the insurers be focusing their attention um, as well as any other loopholes they can find. Tenants, um, I think the most important thing for tenants is lots of them put in claims um, and have had those rejected before this decision came through. They should all dust off those insurance policies and get them back to their brokers with updated 
financial mm -hmm. information um, and, and then see if they can recover anything as a result of this judgment. That's definitely worth pursuing, even if your insurer isn't one of those that's specified in this judgment, do that. And for landlords, is it going to make a difference to their rent recovery? Um, possibly. If the small and medium enterprises who have taken out this enhanced business interruption insurance, if they receive a payout, they should then be able to pay the rent arrears that are outstanding. And that should result in more landlords being able to recover more and all of our pension pots being sort of topped up, et cetera. So, uh, so that's, the, that's the summary effect for all of them. Fingers crossed. So I imagine you'd recommend for any tenants that do manage to recover under one of these policies uh, that um, using uh, some or all of the money uh, claimed to, to actually pay their rent would be uh, highly advisable. Yes, absolutely. And and very important for the future trading of the business. Mm. Um, it's important to make sure that they restore the relationships with the landlords. Lots of landlords have borne with tenants um, and it's only fair to repay that. So. FCA is the first major case uh, with COVID-19 at its very heart and that, that has gone all the way through uh, the courts and, and reached a conclusion. But uh, one suspects it will be far from the last. Um, what do you think uh, will be some of the key pandemic related battlegrounds uh, that will be keeping the courts busy in, in 2021 and, and likely a few years beyond? I mean, the one that I'm watching out for at the minute, um, have even set up an alert with our library service, is the um, Sports Direct case. Mm. Um, a, because it's about Lily White's at Piccadilly Circus, and that's it, always interesting. Um, but B, because it affects quite a lot of cases which are currently stacked up in the courts, a number of which we're dealing with. Um, so this is Criterion um, and Fraser's group. And, and the questions are um, all of the things that appeared in the article, which um, Jonathan and Miriam Seatler wrote in the Estates Gazette about whether tenants had to pay their rent still. I mean, I could almost have cut and pasted the article and put it into some of the responses we've received. Um, but but it's all of those arguments. You know, can you can you argue that the landlord's insurance um, should pay out and all of that? It's going to be really important for a lot of these debt claims. And of course, mm. landlords have been prevented from being able to take action against their tenants as a result of all of the restrictions the government has imposed. So there's a lot of these debt actions which would ordinarily not be not be there. But lots of these debt claims have been held back pending the outcome of that decision. People are deciding to wait and see what the outcome mm. of that is. And so it will be really important, and um, particularly as we get closer towards the, uh, the moratorium being lifted on other action being taken. And, and then I think the other thing that um, I'm particularly interested in is CVAs. Obviously, they're everywhere. Um, we've had so many more in the last three years than we ever did since they were first launched back in the late noughties. Um, and we see, I think, lots more challenges coming through in the first half of 2021. So I think the outcome of those challenges will be really interesting. The Debenhams challenge that happened a couple of years ago mm. was the first real substantive challenge to CVAs and, and made quite a difference to the way in which CVAs have gone forward. And I think these challenges will again shape the CVAs and, and, and have quite an impact. And of course, there's a, a wave of insolvencies that everyone's expecting, not just because um, of the economic damage that will be strewn upon us as a result of COVID, but reading uh, the insolvency service um, update, and there's another one due out on the, on the 29th of January, 
they've confirmed that um, year on year we are a third down on corporate insolvencies um, and indeed on in, uh, individual insolvencies. And so there's a sort of backup of the normal mm. churn of insolvencies plus the additional insolvencies that will be coming through. So I think very much the CVAs and all of the insolvency uh, work, I think there'll be plenty of that to keep us entertained in the rest of 2021. I'm sure you're right. Uh, So many thanks, Alison, for joining us again and providing uh, that clarity as advertised. Very welcome. Thank you. I'm Jess Harold and you've been listening to On The Case from EG.